Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here. Um, joy. Joy. I just want to... Um, was this uh, Warren or was it Xavier? Xavier. Uh, we're putting these paintings on the, the wall here that the Baron children are doing for Advent this year. I think it's fabulous. And that's just such a great picture of joy because it's bright. Uh, what makes you joyful? I, uh, I have three daughters and one son. And as they were growing up, I was drilling into them. Every year on their birthday, I would say to them, the, uh, the way to find joy in life is to discover who you are and what you're created to be. That's it. That's our life journey, is to actually discover who we are in Jesus Christ and who we're created to be. And that brings us, um, when we get to that moment, it brings us joy. I think we can all uh, testify to that. Um, We're going through 1 Timothy, and the observant ones amongst you a few weeks ago realized that we skipped a passage. It was deliberate. It was deliberate. Um, And the the reason why we skipped it was um, I was looking forward to this day where we could go back to it because, as I've said to you, it's a passage that I um, have preached on before. And I'm happy to preach on. But I wanted someone who could come and preach with a lot more integrity about the passage than I could. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And so we had to wait a few weeks for this person to be free to come and speak to us. And Ellen, why don't you come up now? Ellen O'Brien. Most of you know Ellen. Ellen and Craig uh, pastored the church here for, oh, how many years? 16 years. I'm not even halfway. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, So, uh, and now Ellen and Craig pastor a church on the UBC campus, Origin. Uh, And uh, I know that Ellen, a lot of you have told me uh, of Ellen's gifts, uh, one of which is preaching and teaching. And so I was so excited to ask Ellen to come and speak to us about this passage that she's going to speak on today, First Timothy. Uh, and so I, I really am excited. Thank you, Ellen, for making the time. I know it's a busy time for you, but to come and speak to us. Um, uh, I'm going to pray for Ellen in a moment, but just to let you know, at the end of the sermon... Uh, there's going to be an opportunity for some questions, some answers, maybe some thoughts, discussions around this topic as well. So if, as you're listening and uh, you're prompted to think, oh, I want to ask that question, hold on to it. Um, at the end of the sermon, we'll, uh, I'll come back up and we'll take some questions. Okay? Let me pray for Adam. Father, I want to thank you. Lord, I thank you that uh, you create us uniquely and individually. You create us, Lord, uh, with gifts and talents. And, Father, you create us uh, for a purpose. 
And Lord, uh, I just pray uh, that for each of us here this morning, we, we may find out what that purpose is, who we are in you. And Lord, I thank you for Anna. I thank you for her willingness uh, to use her gifts and talents to come and speak to us today. Lord, would you bless her? Would your spirit rest upon her and give her all that she needs to, to speak your word clearly and boldly in the name of Jesus? Well, as excited as Trevor was, I might have been the opposite. I'm very happy. <laughs> but I'm like, this is a hot mess. <laughs> and not just is it a hot mess, but it has been very painful for many people. Um, so I'm going to speak maybe a bit more autobiographically at different times than usually you would in a sermon. Because I can tell my story. But I know that how this passage has walked all over me at times, it's also walked all over other women. So I'm telling my story illustratively because other people's stories are theirs to tell or not. Um, and even as Lolly had a saying about in my father's house, there's a place for me. This passage at times left me going, huh, is there? Um, so, while I was in grad school, one of these stories, just to say why this matters to me, I was a volunteer chaplain in a juvenile detention center. So, be clear that these were teenagers, but they did everything from stealing cars and graffiti to dropping stones on cars or bridges to killing people. So, it was a raping, like it was a full spectrum of crime. Um, and I would go in and I would sit and I'd be present and talk. There were some other groups that would come in and leave pamphlets and stuff. They had been coming along with friends over there. So one day, um, there was a kid looking at this pamphlet somebody had given him, and there was a picture like this. And I was like, well, not how I would maybe invite this teen to know Jesus, but it's there. He's looking. I'm going to have an interesting conversation. And so I called him by name, and I'm like, what you looking at? Well, do you have any thoughts or questions about it? He goes, yeah. And I this is going to be such a beautiful moment. We're going to get to talk about Jesus. He's like, why does God only care what boys do? It, it does say man. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's like, he's like in jail. He's in trouble. Christ. And all of a sudden, I realized what was happening in grad school around inclusive language mattered to a kid who was in a gang, who was not interested um, in academic debates about inclusive language. Mm -hmm. He just felt he was the only one targeted. And so all of a sudden I was like, this matters in broader culture. Mm -hmm. Language doesn't just matter to me personally. Around the same time, I was enrolled <clears throat> in a preaching class. And so there was one other girl, there were about 50 or 60 students in the class. And whenever the other woman or I preached, there were about seven students who did not attend. And one was my friend, so it was very clear. He just let me know, no offense, I just don't think you should be preaching so I won't be there. Like, he just said it straight up. Others thought it was okay if I preached under my professor's authority. And other people were just affirming and supportive. But all of a sudden, I was like, I am here, like, 
Like, I, not that I don't do controversial things, but I'm here trying to learn how to serve Jesus and teach his word better. Like, I could do a lot worse things. So what in the world? I better wrestle this out. And so the passage that we're looking at is deeply personal for a long time. But it's not just deeply personal to me. I think it is to other women who want to follow and honor Jesus, who want to live out the truth they see in the scripture. And in way more important things than seven people avoiding hearing him. Um, one of the things I had to wrestle with when I came to this passage is, what is my view of Scripture? Do I get the luxury of picking and choosing and just saying, hey, don't like that one, I'll ignore it. And what it came to is that I didn't think I could do that. That I actually do believe that the Scriptures have been inspired by God. And so I want more than just to be inspired. I actually want to wrestle with hard stuff. I want to try and understand. I want to be responsible with this, not dismiss it. But that means we work. Um, last fall, I was with a group of UBC women, and one had asked about the same passage. And the others knew they were coming to talk about women in Christianity, and they had some angst. But they hadn't written this passage, and I really, really should have filmed the moment, because we read it, and they went, oh! like the whole room went, oh! This is awful. And so, like I'm really sitting at this passage. If you haven't, if you haven't read these verses and you have a, don't worry, I've heard it already. And it may make you question, well, what do I do with the Word of God? But what I hope you'll do is say, when I come across things I don't get, I'm going to do some hard work. And one of the girls was whining, was like, why can't the Bible just say what it means? And I looked at her. Finishing four and a half years of studying about how to do business. And your mom runs a multinational company, and you already knew a lot. Why'd you just give four and a half years to that? And so, things that we want to know about, things, skills we want to have, we give the time to. And I decided that I would give the time to this. So, backdrop I know you've been doing her Timothy. What was happening in Ephesus? Um, Paul had a really deep love for the church in Ephesus. You can go and read Acts about it. But they were conflicting. Someone was teaching contrary to the truth. Some people's faith had become shipwrecked. There was a lot of anger and controversy. And somebody was having inappropriate relationships. In the midst of all of this, Paul is sending a letter to a church he loves through Timothy a leader he loved like a son. So this is a deeply personal level, a letter. And I hope you later look at some of these scriptures and say, yeah, they were having a fuss. Now, um, those of you who are parents, how do you handle when your children are conflicting? Okay. So here is what would happen with mine right before the screen comes. You all better work this out. Are you going to be sitting on that sofa, holding hands and singing kumbaya? Because I'm so done with this. Because I was trying to watch it. And trust me, only once or twice carrying through the kumbaya, holding hands thing, they learned how to work through conflict a lot better. We don't like conflict. And nobody knows how to do it well. Because we all get our own strong emotions. And some of us... Um, dive right in because we just want to get it over. And some of us 
avoid it like the plague, quit going places that we like and being with people we love because we want to avoid it. But conflict is part of being human. It's even part of being Christian. And Paul is writing these people, trying to help them with how to handle multiple hot messes. And we only get Paul's side of the conversation. And that is another tricky piece with any of the letters. We're eavesdropping, but we don't get the full picture. True story, early in marriage, um, I was on the phone with my mom, which is not unusual, it was regular, and she and I had lots to talk about, and Craig can hear me, Craig's my husband, for those of you who don't know, going, no, oh my, oh mama, what is she going to do? And there's a lot of expressiveness, and you can see his brows furrowing, I can now realize later, he was thinking, oh, we're going to have to buy a plane ticket, and there's somebody's funeral, like he was really, really worried. But I'm just talking and not paying a whole lot of attention to him, and he goes, what is wrong, are you okay? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you sound like somebody's sitting. And I start laughing until I'm crying. My mom was telling me about her soap opera. (laughs) (laughs) True story. And Craig believed he was going to have to buy a plane ticket to send me to someone's funeral. (laughs) And so one of the reasons we have to look for these clues in the letter is because we're hearing one side of a conversation. Now, it was serious and dire in Ephesus. It wasn't a soap opera. And yet, we need to have the sense that we aren't hearing everything. Um, <clears throat> how is this passage put together? It's in parallel. If you, oops, went back. This is what happens when you give me toys. Um, <laughs> chapters 2 and chapters 3 are in a parallel structure. Now, I know, you're like, this is not English class, and I don't care. But it can help you see the style of writing. So everyone is addressed at the beginning of the chapter. And then two examples are given. And then there is a group example, a specific example, and then another plural group example. <clears throat> so it's worth, on your own time, really go through these two chapters and say, oh, He's got some parallelism going on. And now we're going to dig in. So ancient Ephesus, um, since you've been doing First Timothy, is on what we now consider Turkey. If any of you ever, there's an island of Patmos, and then you take a little ferry over to what's modern-day Izmir. And it's quite stunning, and it's quite beautiful. And it had one of the seven wonders of the world there. And in the seven wonders of the world... Um, the Greek goddess Artemis was worshipped. Now, each city that took on one of the Greek gods or goddesses gave her or him his own personality that the local. So Artemis of Ephesus is different than Artemis of Athens. Apparently, ships coming into harbor could see her lifted up in this temple before they could see land. Um, She was a goddess of virginity and midwifery. What's going to be important for us later is that Artemis was born before her brother Apollo and when her mom went into labor, she watched her mom suffer for nine days. And she went and told Zeus, I don't ever want to give birth. Could you please make me immune 
to Aphrodite's arrows of love, so I don't have to go through those pains. This is a, this story of Artemis is important. And then she became the savior of women in the travails of childbirth, and she was considered the one who would either help a woman live through childbirth, as it's risky, or she would mercy kill a woman whose childbirth was going bad. And so there was fear of Artemis that what if she decided your labor was going too long and she just mercy killed you? So it wasn't a love-only savior relationship. Um, She was also regularly ceremonied, if you will, and women would try to dress like she did as they would lead in these ceremonies. Within the temple, um, people used their wealth and their contributions. They were a benefactor of Artemis to gain influence and status in the city. So, so there is a backdrop in this letter to Timothy of people who were seeped in this culture. There's more online if you want to really get into it, but that's a picture of her. Here are places just for you to read in the Bible about Paul's really special and precious relationship with this church. So now we're going to read. And then we'll, um, if your blood turns out, it's okay. We're going to work through it. And it probably will fall back down. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Um, years ago some of you may remember Carrie Hall she had an internship she was asking about this she and Christina Muse so a group of young women came to my house and we went through this passage and I opened my Bible to begin to deal with it and my children had been in my Bible and ripped the page out and I was like oh no here I am trying to say take the Bible seriously and the very first thing that happens is these words are in my Bible and I didn't do it. Um, So instead of leaving at least some of you feeling like you need to do away with, let's look at this word by word. I'm hoping that you have your own Bible only because there's some words to underline and connect. And the first word is what does it mean to be quiet? Okay? There is hush and then there's calm down. And this word is not the word that Paul usually uses for silent. 
This is the one that is used for peace, for restfulness, for tranquility. So, I have up here, because I wanted you to believe me, I'm not just making this stuff up. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The word in verse 2 for quiet, and the word in verse 11 for quiet, and verse 12 for quiet, are all the same. And a quiet is about being restful. Now, when you are in conflict, does your body or spirit feel restful? No. I feel feisty. I lose sleep. In the fight, flight, flee, or connect, I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, if there's conflict, what I learned later in life is that I'm going to lean in hard. Because I want it gone. And I just think if we can just work through it, it'll just be done. But I'm not, he, there's not always restfulness. And I've had to learn to pause in that lean and heart because I need to go and I need to have a quiet spirit of the Lord, a peaceful spirit, not a hushed one, but a tranquil one before I deal with conflict. Because the physicality, you know, we know what happens. We go to work seminars about mindful breathing and all of this stuff. We know that our body literally gets on high alert in conflict. And so Paul is using words throughout, asking them to calm down. Here's the word, esukion, here. There it is again in a different, esukia and esukia. There's two times it's a noun, one time it's an adjective. But I want you, when you read that, not to read hush, but read what? Peace. What do we tell people when they're getting really feisty and angry? Calm down. So it's never good. It's, never, it's not always well received. <laughs> Hopefully, he had the space between a, a, a letter. All right, we're going to come through these verses. So. The men were lifting up their hands, but instead of praying, they were fair. And Paul is telling them, I want you to lifting up of hands to be without anger and disputing. He doesn't tell them not to fight, but he's like, this is a prayer posture in their community. It is not a raised fist anger posture. Okay? So men are getting called out for how they're praying. Or not praying. And then he says, also women. And he talks about the dress. Okay, having to teach this made me really like, ooh, what? Why am I going to wear it today? Why am I not? Because like, I can't like read. I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive. I don't have expensive clothes, but I do have some jewelry. So I was like, eh. Okay, Paul is talking to women. Remember that Artemis quote, cult piece? Now, some people believe that he was saying, don't dress up like a temple prostitute. So we'd say, don't dress up like a hoochie mama. But he's not, he could be saying that. But he's also saying, don't dress up in a way that makes you look like you are going to Artemis' temple. These were people who were coming to Jesus, and they were coming out of Artemis' cult worship. And he's actually saying, 
Maybe you don't need to look like her anymore if you're going to follow Jesus. And instead of getting respect for modeling your life after Artemis, verse 10, I want you to put on good deeds. If you worship God, then your actions are going to speak rather than your donations to the temple and rather than how you look like this woman Artemis or goddess. Okay? A woman should learn. Okay, if it's your Bible, verse 11, please underline the word learn. The only command in this passage in terms of verb structure is learn. Women are being commanded to learn. That was not standard operating procedure in the ancient Near East, but Paul is commanding them to learn. That's the only command, and that's important for sometimes how this passage gets used. So I would say, are we as women learning? Are we learning deeply the things about? Are we studying? Are we diligent in how we get to understand and handle the scripture? Because that's what they're commanded to do. Now, he wants them to learn in quietness and full submission. Okay, so quietness, he wants them to learn peacefully. Because do you learn anything if you're mad? Have you ever been in a class where you were displeased with the teacher? (laughs) Were you teachable or were you looking for them to make an error so you can make it obvious? Um, And full submission. Okay, so here's this thing with biblical yieldedness. I think it's reasonable to say that there are times we yield to people, but because people take the word submission and then they use it to their own ends, I get um, reactive about the word sometimes. If someone is teaching the very words of God and the perspective about how to know and love the Lord, back in 1 Timothy 1, he said the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If that's what being taught, I might have to yield to love. I might have to yield to what is making my heart unclean. I might have to yield to what my conscience is saying I'm doing right now and isn't good. And I might have to yield to the places where my faith is insincere. So in 1 Timothy 1.5, which I know you all worked through earlier, he's telling the goal of his command. And I might have to change how I'm acting to yield to that. Okay? Now, verse 12. <laughs> um, I do not permit. Here is a challenge. Literally, I, I can't count how many translations uh, into English and Spanish, just because those are languages I can read in, um, I've read. <sighs> the translation matters. And I've actually had to change the translation I do my quiet time in because this matters. So I do not permit sounds global and long term. The verb tense happening here is I am not permitting. So as a parent, there is um, Jennifer, one time you told me when my children were still children that Michaela came and said, I am not allowed to watch TV. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's interesting. 
to be an autocrat, to try and get the upper hand. So Paul is speaking to woman, a woman in singular. He's asking her to, commanding her to learn and giving her the demeanor of learning in quietness or peacefulness, yieldedness. He's not permitting her at this time to teach or to try and dominate. Have you ever seen humans in conflict want to dominate one another? Does that happen in conflict? Does this ring true to the human nature? And then that would be unbecoming at worship. You might disagree at this moment with someone what I'm teaching, and you can in question and answer let me know, and that's fine. But if you stood up and fussed with me and tried to control the moment, that might not be appropriate and might need somebody to talk to you. And so, Paul is addressing a woman and asking her to put on a little bit more. Okay. I'm going to test your geography. So here is Greece. Here is Turkey. And here is Egypt. Okay? You can see my imaginary... Matt, I guess that was all in my perspective. You'll have to flip my map. <laughs> that was it. Okay, let's try again. Greece, Turkey, Egypt. Um, the worship of Artemis um, was connected to the worship of Isis in Egypt. Okay? All right. Y'all are going to think I'm such a geek. But I've even read this very old soap opery first century novel of this couple from Artemis, because scholars say it's connected to this text, and um, the 14-year-old Artemis worshiper who marries handsome Habercombies ends up a slave in Egypt, and she's praying to Isis for help. Okay? So women would find Artemis and Isis worship interchangeable, is the piece. And Isis was famous for dominating Roth. So all of this is just woven into their general practice. When you came to Jesus, did you have to change any of your worldview and any of your behaviors? I'm still having, I've been with Jesus a long time, but sometimes I'm more influenced by the broader culture of where I work and the people I'm talking to. And I'm still having to adjust my worldview. And Paul is saying, maybe before you come and teach, not maybe, before you come and teach, I want you to go and be teachable. I want you to learn. I don't want you to come in trying to run things. I know you've been running things somewhere else and you've run probably well, but you need to come in. You need to be, maybe calm down, but for sure be peaceful, teachable, and learn before you step back into this role that you're in. Another thing that's important to know is that at this time, teaching was not a role, it was a gift to the church. And so he was addressing an action and not a position. All right. Now, Adam and Eve. Travis <laughs> inside to see I'm going, help me, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Okay, so what is happening in the church? 
sounds like he's trying to blame women. Well, it sounds that way. It sounds like. But I think, again, a specific woman was getting deceived. And he's trying to point out, I, don't, I want you to be learning so you're not getting deceived. So it sounds that way. Let's come back to Adam and Eve. All right. In the order of creation, I had a seminary professor so, say, we need to be careful with this because if we get too carried away with order, then cows are above men in the order of creation. <laughs> so, okay. But what is happening is, see, Isis, Ra, Artemis, Apollo, these siblings had some complicated relationships, which these people are seeped in. Artemis was born before Apollos. And so in ancient Ephesus, Artemis was seen as being preeminent, and women were being seen as over. And Paul is correcting what was their worldview with this piece from Genesis, from creation. And now this is where what people come to the Bible with matters. If you come to the Bible and you want to justify your power, you are going to see hierarchy. And if you come and read Genesis with me, you are going to see that there is a mutuality between humans. And that the hierarchy that's mentioned in Genesis 3 is a not a prescription from God for power domination, but a description of what happens when people have sin in their lives and are not listening to the Spirit of Jesus for how to treat one another. So, whether it's men dominating women, which is how it seems this verse is used, or, in their case, whether it was the women in the Artemis, coming out of the Artemis cult trying to dominate men, it's still domination. And Paul is trying to break the domination spirit. Um, Eve deceived. Okay, there's a lot of scholarship and we won't get through all of it. Some feel because she disobeyed God's command, um, but not that she was usurping Adam. Adam knew, some people even do, Adam should have, was given the job and Adam didn't teach her. And we're back to this, are you getting good teaching? The truth is, is that there were false teachers. Okay? And people were being deceived, and it seems particularly some of the women are. Not just here, but when you can jump ahead, when you all get to chapter 5, you will find there were women going house to house, and there was gossiping, and there was deception. And what he wants, remember back to verse 5, is that they would be commanded as love, Pure hearts, good conscience, sincere faith. You can't have sincere faith if it is not based on, now I'm in 2-4, a knowledge of the truth. I also want you to realize Eve's deception was around a command of God's. It wasn't around Adam. It wasn't around Adam's power. It was around listening to God. And... Childbirth. Okay. In general, we don't feel childbirth is too risky. However, my husband's 
um, grandmother died in childbirth. So not just too many generations ago, it was still risky business to give birth. Interestingly, Paul rarely uses the term Savior for God, for Jesus. He has other names. If you go to your concordances that you told me you've used before, just open up to where it says Savior. And out of 13 of Paul's epistles, there are only five where he uses the term Savior. Three of them, Ephesians, 1 and 2 Timothy, are to the church in Ephesus because Artemis was called the Savior of women. And so he is juxtaposing Artemis, the Savior of women who are at risk in childbirth, and Jesus, the Savior of all of who we are. Um, And here's another piece. You know, like the whole markers, chapters, and verses weren't in the Bible. This was just a letter. And then we put it in until it's fine. Some believe in chapter 3, verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying, actually goes back with verse 15. And then this was a trustworthy saying of the church about women. Here, a woman will be saved through childbearing. She's not saved like from hell saved, but like from dying, because childbirth's hard saved. And he's calling to them, to continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. That's the phrase. That's the saying. He wants them to be people of faith, people of love, and people of holiness. This word propriety is the same word back in verse 9 for propriety about stress and laws. This passage is messy because it requires knowledge about Artemis cult that we don't generally have. It requires us to acknowledge that there is a spirit in most people, some space of the come that wants to be in control. There is irony to me that as Paul is correcting the spirit of domination, some have come in taking these verses to use to dominate. And maybe we all need to come with the humility and a teachable spirit and not and just say, there are times I want to dominate. I know it as a teacher when I slip into some spirit I don't want to be with students. I'd much rather get on. Every now and again, I know I want to slip into it as a parent. And even occasionally when your friends are making bad decisions. Um, oh, this somehow they transfer well. The scripture references are so good. Um, what, what do you do with all of this? I'd like for you to look at women leaders in the New Testament on your own time and just say, even Paul had women leaders. He was acknowledging them in other scripture. So why would he in some places be affirming and writing letters to women and then here not? I hope you'll just take some time to look at these scriptures on your own. Um, I also realized it was Christmas, and then the irony of joy. And this passage has not often brought me much joy. But really, what has taken away my joy is because how some have tried to use this passage. And even Though it was, you know, it's almost 30 years ago when I worked through this for graduate school. I worked hard with this passage. 
I reread new books, new studies come out, I keep reading on it. It's not what I have as my life passage. Like, frankly, Trevor, if you want to ask me to come and speak about anything that really makes me delighted, <laughs> this isn't in the list either. <laughs> I love God's Word, and I love teaching it. And this passage still does not bring me joy. But the reason it does not is because people use it and misuse it and feel grief and then won't talk about it. And so maybe coming with humility to hard passages and we can be like Mary and we can be humble and we can be willing to yield our reputation for the activity of God because really to receive Jesus, that is what she did. And what Paul was asking of these women in Ephesus in 1 Timothy is you have been in positions of influence and I'm asking you to yield your status and to learn about the ways of God so that you can then, later in the book, verse 5, chapter 5 and 6 even, you can lead with wisdom and holiness and humility. We have a passage that is in conflict. And it's, frankly, the reason I'm here is because this passage has caused some conflict in the broader Christian community. That makes me sad. Sorry. Um, But in the midst of conflict, I am working hard. I'm not always there to not be resentful and to be at peace with God. And I am wanting to be teachable in how to relate to difficult situations. And in the midst of danger, thank you Jesus, I'm past childbirth danger, but I want to be hopeful when my spirit feels endangered. And Mary sang a song that reminds us that he brings down rulers and he lifts the humble. Again, I don't know why it transferred funny. It was pretty when I left it. Make friends with some of the other women in the Bible. What do you do with hard passages? Um, I didn't have time to go through the whole Bible, but that's what I did when I was wrestling with this. Is that I started, I actually took women in the Old Testament, and every time I did a research paper, it was dealing with something so that I could work this out. But I also made some really good friends with other women who were leading. So instead of just being controlled and acted upon by this, get to know some of the women leaders in the Bible. Make friends. And then acknowledge when we come to the Bible, we're dealing with Jewish, Greek, Roman culture, and then our own worldview. And do you know how we handle conflict around gender issues today? I don't think it's so different from ancient Ephesus. Mm-hmm. We want a winner. Mm-hmm. And so all of my figuring this out, I am not Jewish, I am not Greek, and I'm not Roman. I do it today. And so I'm having to be cross-culturally gracious with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I have Pretty much, we live in the city, we learn how to do this until we're irritated with parking. <laughs> but we learn how to do this in this city. We are graciously saying, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt 
Because I'm trusting that there's something in your worldview that makes this action, that makes no sense to me, and could make sense. And I also think we need a grace of that cross-cultural um, hospitality to the writers of the scripture and say, yeah, I'm not in most of those things, and so I need to know it. We come to the scripture with what is real and what is a redeemed reality. And the real is that this verse, and this passage is contentious. And the redeemed reality is that the people that it's contentious with, we're going to spend eternity with. And so we have to learn how to hold that discomfort and tension and say, this pains me. And it would be easier for me to walk away or ignore. And I don't think um, that's a redeemed reality. And so then it's painful. It's painful because I might not play in that sandbox. But I can't avoid that some people are. Um, Lappy saying, come on, be who you are. These are my girls. These are my girls. One of my favorite photos. It's a few years ago. Rather than ripping this page out of your Bible or letting your preschooler do it. <laughs> I didn't let it. It was in it first. But um, I say wrestle with it. Because about the time that in the States a belief statement was enacted that now has been enacted locally, my daughter Michaela was two. And I remember I grieved and I wept and I was angry and it was in the States, it wasn't here, and hoped and tried to act preemptively here. Um, but at, we, Craig and I were at Regent College in the bookstore, and our, our modus operandi was one person had kids, one person got to look at books, and you switch. So when I was coming to give Craig his tap out, and he could go to the bookstore, and Michaela is in the chapel, it had been his open, and she's two years old, and pretty little thing, and she opens the Bible, and she's going, and God, he says, Jesus loves you. And he's, she's preaching a sermon. And then she looks over at her little brother, Nathaniel, play a song. And she's like, everything as it should be. And I realize I've been so worried about this passage or how people use the passage because I worked through the passage when I meant in me obeying Jesus for teaching. That I've been scared that I'm standing up for myself. But really, it's about not just my daughters, but it's about my spiritual daughters. It is, is this an environment where women can come and be who they are in Christ? Is it where they can obey the scripture and live out the gifts, whatever they are that God has given them, or whatever the gifts are that the body needs? Is it that I am in an environment, or providing an environment for my daughters, providing an environment for women that I disciple, where the Holy Spirit can come and pour out himself on all people so that your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Let's pray. Jesus would come. 
And I at least confess that still this passage is hard because of how some people would use it. And I ask for humility to do conflict in a way that honors you. And that I would trust you enough so that my spirit can be peaceful and teachable and hopeful. And that I would look to you to be my Savior and that we would depend on you um, to give us the humility not to try to dominate. And that we would say yes, Jesus, to being who you have called us to be. And that we would move from saying, come on, to these hard passages, to saying, yes, come on, Holy Spirit. Fill us and use us and teach the truth and give us holiness and give us peace and give us the ability to create an environment where our sons and our daughters can thrive and be who they are. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to come and preach again <laughs> on a subject that gives you joy. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't asking for another thing. That was probably the most thorough and clear exposition of that passage that I've heard. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have a ton of questions, uh, but why don't we just, uh, if, do you, any of you have any questions here? Andrea, yeah. Uh, firstly, thank you. Um, secondly, a question about verse 15. Um, women will be saved through childbearing, continuing faith, love, and holiness and piety. Is this a correction to uh, the culture of Artemis where you know, there's all this business about childbearing, and you might die, you might be killed by Artemis. So, I, what I understand is that the temptation would be, um, Artemis is who anybody given birth went to make sure they were safe. And now that they've left Artemis, they're like, I'm going to die. me. <laughs> and so it's actually saying you don't need to depend on Artemis' covering mm-hmm. for childbearing. Right. So all of this is dealing with things that were common knowledge and would have been ever present. If I as an adult had been taught my whole life that when you get ready to give birth, you're going to do this stuff at the Artemis' temple. And now I'm not doing it, but maybe I'll just cover all my bases and then do both hands. So that's what it Thanks. Thanks, Andrea. Any, any other thoughts, questions? Uh, yeah, yes. Can you speak a little bit more about like, what you know about the differences of men and women as kids in the biblical? Okay, so. Yeah, so like, obviously, men and women are different. Right? Like, and I often read this passage of like, okay, maybe women are more emotional and are more like, like carried away by, like, I'm okay, well, the, the quietness part, right? Like, can be like, be teachable and quiet. Like, seems like women have that tendency of getting a little bit more like, hysterical sometimes. How is, how is Peter's emotionality? <laughs> 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 I 
much. <laughs> I think there are humans yes. that are more emotional. Yes. Um, there's physicality, they call it highly sensitive person, ADHD, we have all kinds of reasons. So there are humans that are more reactive and emotional than others. But remember when he's talking to her, it's a woman. He's dealing with a specific I also think um, humans who are any human who's used to influence and then loses that, mm-hmm. um, how they act, it takes a lot of self-control to not try to reassert a authority position that they have. Um, so what I would say is that male and female are created in the and so what you're really asking is there's what's called a hierarchalist worldview, and there is a mutualist worldview within Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and say, I believe that humans are more mutual. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask amongst my, my parents, my mom is the one that keeps her emotions cool, and my dad has more emotionality. So do I think emotions are gender-specific? No. Do I think cultures inform how people express within their gender expression properly? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Mm-hmm. Actually, if I follow up on that, do you think that God gave women to be like this and all men? And I don't. And so it's okay if we disagree? <laughs> <laughs>
how humans interact. Mm -hmm. And so um, there is biblical scholarship in both spaces. Um, and not just in modern times. The first few centuries, like Gregory of Nazianus, he even talked about the mutuality of the humans. So it does not seem until uh, 4th and 5th century that some of this hierarchy becomes stagnant, and some of that's related to the broader society. That's great. You know, one of the great things that we're doing here is we're not being lazy. We're actually wrestling with something that the people have been wrestling with for centuries. And so I think you know, the fact that we're actually confronting it, not just being lazy and say, oh, yeah, okay, uh, that's what that person said, well, that's, that's fine. No, we're actually wrestling with it today. I think that's really, really important. Um, any other comments, uh, Amy? Yes, comments. I want to thank you so much for bringing this very important topic. Uh, I don't know what I mean. The question I think that most people are struggling with is this idea of women teaching men. Um, I think there is a difference, um, but I also believe that we would um, come up and we want to talk. We just speak. Uh, first of all, much for the glory of God. Can you also, um, what what your take on this idea of women teaching men? Um, so, I start, probably my best friend in the Bible is Holman. Ironically, when I got sinner, I get master's level Bible study. There were only, there was only one Bible person I didn't know and one story I had misunderstood. My Sunday school teachers had done a great job. <laughs> But Holda, how many of you know who Holda is? I didn't know either. <laughs> so, how many of you know the story of Josiah and the cleansing of the temple and the Bible scrolls? Do you know the yes. story? Yes. How did they find out what the scrolls mean? The high priest oh, yes. and the secretary, and I forget some other dude, they all come to see Holda the prophet mm -hmm. and she's the one they have to know. And Paula is wrong in my friend. Philip had daughters who prophesied. They prophesied wrongly. Lydia was a church planter. And then Paul came and helped her church plant in Philippi. We don't use those terms because we came up with those terms later, but that's what she was doing. When we <coughs> look at Paul's writings, Paul's and Acts, I didn't know this, and then when he's asked me, it says Priscilla and Aquila. Well, in ancient Mary's um, culture, they would always say Aquila, the husband, and Priscilla. But Priscilla was part of teaching Apollos, who was a man. When you come to the end of Romans 16, and this is a problem too, because what, how early Greek um, translations were translated had has been changed in recent years. And so you want to figure out your translation. In Romans 16, he's talking about Priscilla as a co-worker. Um, church is meeting their home, so she's pastoring with Priscilla. Mary worked hard for them. Junia 
is called an apostle. These are all women who are also teaching men. And so that's part of why this passage became easier because I'm under the kingdom version. But I look at all these women who were teaching men and women, who were pastoring men and women, who were serving men and women. And then I really just had to work out what is this passage. So I think when we look at the whole Bible, there are a lot of women who lead in. Well, that's another trick. I keep learning new things, 
So maybe people I disagree with could keep saying, mm. and they can learn too. Mm-hmm. And, and I share a little bit earlier. One of my perspectives uh, I am going to spend eternity with these people. <laughs> so I might need to work out in my heart. doesn't mean I have to be um, deeply conversing about that passage, but I want to keep another missing that's great. That's great because we all disagree, not just about this, but about many, many other things as well. And yet we're called to unity. We're called to peace in Jesus Christ. And, and how we do that, how we wrestle with that, is actually how we wrestle with the Christian life, I think. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, uh, that's a really good word. To end on. I'm, I'm going to pray for Ellen again, and then uh, I'll be maybe listening one song, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll wrap up. Father, thank you for this time. I, I, Lord, I thank you for the spirit of peace and of unity, uh, Lord, that that you bring uh, to this church, and to uh, Father, would that um, invade the the global church. Lord, in our differences, can we just find peace in you and our unity in you? Lord, I thank you for Ellen and for her boldness and for speaking and for her passion, Lord, uh, that is so evident. Would you continue to use her powerfully to further your kingdom in wherever she is, on the UBC campus and uh, in people's homes, at work? Father, would you use her powerfully? And Father, we thank you for her and uh, bless her and her family.